want to invite you to take out your Bibles. We will be moving through them a little bit more than usual this morning. If you didn't bring one, there is a maroon one in the pew in front of you that will actually correspond to the page numbers on the screen. If you ever wondered where those page numbers come from, it's not my Bible, it's the pew Bible. My numbers wouldn't be helpful to you. This morning we are beginning a new series in the book of Genesis. The very first book in your Bible, the first book of the Old Testament. And for some of you, this is great news. Because it's the beginning of the year and you just started a Bible reading plan that planted you in Genesis. And then quite possibly there are others of you who in the back of your mind are thinking, why on earth is Pastor Ben preaching through the book of Genesis? I thought this was a church that was based on Jesus. Well, I'm glad you asked the question. That's what I'm going to preach today. Considering the words of Jesus found in John 5, we're going to start there, as, as Jesus confronts the Pharisees. John 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Friends, let's stop for a moment and recognize that Jesus... When he says the Scriptures here in John 5, that he's talking about the Old Testament. And far more important to our cause this morning, Jesus contests with them that they've been reading the Scriptures, that they've been reading the Old Testament, and it is the words of Jesus that they, the Old Testament, that bear witness about Him. Which ought to give us a couple of sets of categories immediately, right? Because if you are a believer, or even if you're not a believer, you start to see categories that there are people who don't read God's Word. Now, please don't be in that group. Don't be. It's the beginning of the year, and it's January 20th, and so you're 20 days late in your Bible reading plan. It's okay. Start today anyway. I used to have a, a daily Bible, and it started on the first, and if I didn't get there, I'd be like, oh, it's the fourth, and I'm only on the second, I just quit. Don't be that guy. Not time for that yet. Never time for that. But also, if you lean into the Scriptures, there's a category of people who seem to read like the Pharisees, who read and study the Scriptures, but with a cold and a closed heart. Right? They studied the Scriptures and yet saw nothing. That seems to be a category of Bible readers in the Scriptures. Ephesians would actually tell us that God, the Holy Spirit, opens the eyes of our hearts, enlightens us, illuminates us, that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're asking for. That we're supposed to come to the Scripture with an open eyes and an open heart, praying that God would reveal Himself. That seems to be what the Pharisees missed. From verse 40, Jesus says, You refuse to come to Me that you may have life. Friends, what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees is the Old Testament is clearly pointing to Him. You are reading and studying, and yet you do not see me. That's his point. A couple of verses later. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. This is Jesus speaking again. There is one who does accuse you, Moses, of whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now that is a pregnant sentence. Jesus is clearly teaching again that the Old Testament points to him. 
and specifically pointing to the writings of Moses, which are the first five books of the Old Testament, commonly called the Pentateuch. My guess is as we walk into Genesis, I'm going to say that word a lot. Pentateuch. The first five books of the Old Testament, including the book of Genesis. But if you consider Jesus' words, if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is actually pointing you to believe the words of Moses. And pointing you because they're going to point back to Jesus. And you should know, this isn't the only time Jesus says something like this. On the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, Jesus encounters two disciples who are downcast after his crucifixion and yet have not fully realized the resurrection. Again, the words of Jesus, Luke 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look at his words. Slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. It's worth at least asking if you believe all the words the prophets have spoken. And more than that, to know that the words that the prophets have spoken are about Jesus. Jesus is challenging their belief in the Old Testament and again explains to them that the Old Testament, again the Pentateuch, the prophets, how the books of the Old Testament forecast Him, how they point to Him. And He does the same thing with the disciples a couple of verses later, Luke 24, 44. Then He said to me, or then He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms classically considered that's your entire Old Testament. Jesus is saying it writes about Him. That it writes about Jesus. And this is the big one that Jesus would be the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament. Verse 45. Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus opened their minds. The same thing that the Holy Spirit has given credit for in Ephesians 1. It does for you. He opens the eyes of our hearts that would be enlightened to know who He is. Friends, Jesus taught before He died and was resurrected. And again, Jesus taught after He died and was resurrected that the Old Testament points to Him. That it anticipates Him. That it helps to explain Him. And that He becomes the fulfillment of it. Such that He's the solution to the problem. He's the answer. And that's the first reason why we're starting a series in the book of Genesis. Because we want to start to see and get our eyes around the idea that the Old Testament points to Jesus. The book 
of Genesis is going to point to Jesus and it's going to set the table for us both biblically and theologically for Jesus. And that's our second reason. The Old Testament sets the table for Jesus. It's the foundation of all theology, which is to say this, that it's the beginning of everything we know of God. But that's what theology is. Theo, God, ology, study of. So for us to have a full picture of God, for us to have a full picture of His work, for us to have a complete understanding of Jesus and all the reasons why He came, we must consider the beginning. So let me give you a couple of examples to help bring this all together for us. Tying back how the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Consider for a moment Adam. He's the first guy, the first human created in Genesis 2. But the New Testament refers to him nine different times. It points to him to tell a story, to try to explain some of the situations we find ourselves in. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul testifies about Adam. This is what he says. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul actually explains this much more thoroughly in Romans 5, so I'll point us there now. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, if we sit in Romans 5 and don't have a good concept of the Old Testament, we start to get lost. But when you start to recognize, staring at Romans 5, that he's taking you all the way back to the beginning in Genesis 1, God creates the world and then creates man in Genesis 2. And in Genesis 3, you find original sin. When Adam and Eve take the apple... And it is well worth noting that the Scripture holds Adam accountable. We'll consider that more when we get to Genesis 3. But Paul is pointing us back to original sin. When man came into the perfect environment, when Adam and Eve were in a place where they were free to choose not to sin, they had no sin nature. Which is to say, it would be new to them. It would be a new inclination, something they'd never done before. They could choose not to sin, and yet in that moment, they still chose sin. And through that one sin, lowercase s, sin, uppercase s, was imputed to all humanity. Just to say they sinned, they offended God, they broke the law. And because they broke the law, sin as a big concept entered into the entire world and was imputed to all mankind. To that end, Paul wrote Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which is to say of us in 2019 that we are not in the garden. We are not in a perfect environment 
and we're not able to literally walk with God in the garden. Sin now has a far greater pull on us. For each and every one of us has a sin nature, has sin experience, and to some degree or another really likes it if we're honest about it. So much so the Scriptures say that we can become enslaved to it, that sin can become our master. And so as Paul shows here, the wages of sin is death. It's one of the effects of sin. You see that in Genesis 3. One of the effects of the fall is death. And so all men die because all men sin. So Paul is putting this all back together for us, taking us from Genesis 3, just as sin came into the world through one man. Death comes into the world. Death spreads to everyone. Then in verse 13, in case you wonder, he's also put it in the context of the law given in the book of Exodus, which we're not teaching through. So I'm not going to touch on that now. I'm only going to take one book at a time. I'm not even giving Paul enough credit here, but we're moving quick. He's just trying to clarify that sin came where it came from and that it started with Adam. So in verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. See, Paul is looking back at the Old Testament. He's looking back at Genesis. He's pointing to Adam, and he's even pointing to Moses. And he's forecasting for us how they would show who was the one who was to come. And how Jesus would reconcile that which was broken in the garden. How He would solve humans' problem. He would solve the the problem of mankind. Verse 15 and following. Explaining Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. When you hear people talk about Jesus, the second Adam, this is what they're pointing to. He's the better Adam. Adam brought sin into the world through a single act. Yet Jesus, through a single act, by His death, on my behalf, on your behalf, by His death, brings complete justification. It brings the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. His one act forgives all of our sin. It pays the full penalty for our sin. Verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one man of one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all 
men. Verse 19. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, what Paul does for us in Romans 5 is he locates the story of Adam in the book of Genesis for us. And it starts to clarify for us how Adam's story points us to Jesus. How Adam's story finds its fulfillment in Jesus. How Adam's story finds its answer in Jesus. And how Adam's story serves as a foundation of our faith. And if we didn't have it, we wouldn't understand it. And we certainly wouldn't understand the depths of it. So we need to have an understanding of Adam. And he's not the only one. For the New Testament also would point us to Cain and Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. All of these stories pointing us to Jesus. All of them being fulfilled in Jesus. And all of them serving as the foundation of our faith. So that we can know God and that we can worship Him rightly. Let me give you another example. Let's turn to Galatians 3. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Again, now Paul is locating us back to the Mosaic law given in the book of Exodus. That if you want to rely on the law, if you want to be a rule follower, that's great. You just better be perfect. And not your rules, His rules. You want to be a rule follower who follows all the rules, follow all of God's rules, all of the ones given in Exodus, all of them given in Leviticus, all of them given in the Old Testament. And you better be perfect. You can't miss one, because if you miss one, it stands to condemn you. The law is a curse. That it stands in judgment of you. This is why you can't be good enough in God's eyes. For if you've broken one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. That's why rule-following faith does not work. It falls apart. That's why Jesus was necessary. Paul's going to get us there. Verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. 
if you lean into what Paul is writing in Galatians, this is what you will see. Because we cannot follow the rules, because we cannot be good enough for salvation, because we can't live perfect lives, the law, which we've opposed, curses us. And that curse needed to be satisfied. And the curse, rather than falling us, falls on Jesus. And that Jesus, when He died on the cross, Jesus takes the curse from us. He takes the punishment from us. And on the list of the things that you received at the cross is this. Verse 14. The blessing of Abraham has come to the Gentiles. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever just sat back and thought, hmm, the blessing of Abraham. Here I sit. Here you sit if you believed in Him. The blessing of Abraham, or as the NIV puts it, the blessing giving to Abraham might come to you through Christ. That is, Abraham was promised in Genesis 15 that he would be a blessing to all nations. Do you know who that will point to? Jesus. That you're blessed because of Jesus through Abraham. It's a promise given in Genesis 15.6 and then quoted in Galatians 3.6 talking about Abraham's faith. It says, Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I mean, that's New Testament theology if you've ever found it. Smack in the middle of the Old Testament in Genesis 15. Now consider Abraham for just a second. Because we'll get here. It'll just take me like a couple of months. Genesis 12, Abraham is a total pagan. Right? He's not a good man. He's not doing good things. Doesn't have a lot of great things going on in his life. He's not a religious person. He's a pagan. When God shows up and says, hey, you're mine. And I'm taking you with me. And I want to make you a blessing. I want to overwhelm you with some things. That is a picture of salvation, isn't it? We bring nothing to the table and God shows up and says, I want to bless you. I want to overwhelmingly bless you. It's a blessing of Abraham. That we believe in God and it's counted as righteousness. Several verses later, still in Galatians 3, Paul writes, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. Paul says in Galatians, if you believed in Jesus Christ, just like Abraham believed in the Lord, if you've believed in Him, then it's been accredited to you as righteousness. If you've believed in Him, you are justified. If you've believed in Him, then you are part of Abraham's family. You are one of His kids. You're His offspring. You are in the family of God. 
And that's an incredible promise that we don't see the full picture of unless we see the full scope of the Scriptures. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. God brings us into His family the same way He brought Abraham into His family. And He blesses us through the blessing of Abraham, which is Jesus. And we're able to see that. And we're able to understand the fullness of it. And we can even get a grasp of the theology of all of it because of Abraham's story. Because of Adam's story. Because of the book of Genesis. We know who God is. We know how God presents Himself to us. We know who we are as people. We know far more about how we're wired as people. And we know what God does on our behalf. How God pursues us. And the whole story starts in the book of Genesis. So as we enter into our series, you should now have a better understanding of the why. Because it's going to point us to Jesus. And it's going to help us to know and understand why Jesus came and what He came to fulfill. And we should be built up by it. And we should have a better and a more robust theology because of our understanding of the full counsel of God's Word. That's why we're walking into Genesis. Let me pray for us. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. That by it we know Your heart. That by it we know Your character. That by it we know Your plan. That which is from the beginning of time and that which predates that. For God, You were from the infinity behind us. There is no beginning to who You are. And there is no beginning to Your plan. Father, just as finite beings, we could conceptualize that there was a beginning. You've given us a book. You've explained Your beginning. You've explained our beginning. Father, I pray that as we step into this book of Genesis, that You would open the eyes of our hearts, that we'd be enlightened to the truth of who You are and how Your Son is fulfilled, how He's predicted how He's explained, how He's interpreted, and how we'll better understand Him with the knowledge of the first couple books of our Bible, specifically Genesis. Give us a better understanding of You, God, that we could worship You more fully. And we could live in light of all You've done on behalf of us. A bunch of folks who didn't deserve Your blessing but you sought us out and you redeemed us and you saved us and you called us yours and you made us part of your family. Thank you for that sweet grace. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.